Well, it's good to see you this morning. It's good to worship with you, and I'm excited to dive into God's Word with you at this time. You know, this past week, I heard a pretty funny story about a church that had a man in their choir who apparently couldn't sing very well, and others had encouraged him to consider serving in another area of ministry, maybe something more in line with his gifting, but this man insisted that he was supposed to be a part of the choir. Well, the choir director became so desperate that he decided to go and talk with the pastor. He said, Pastor, can you please help me with this situation? I mean, if you can't persuade this guy to find another area to serve, we may end up losing half of our singers. I mean, we're desperate. Help us. Well, the pastor went and talked with the man, and he suggested that he leave the choir and look for another way to serve. Why should I leave? The man said. Well, several people have told me that you can't sing very well. It makes more sense to serve somewhere else. That's nothing, the man said. At least 50 people have told me that you can't preach, and you're still here. (laughs) There's a reason for the story. If you're joining us for the first time, we're in the final week of a series uh, that I've entitled, What in the World Does a Christian Do? Um, What do we do with the gifts that God's given us? Um, How are we called to live? How are we called to serve? And throughout the month of October, we've been spending our time in Luke chapter 10, and it's here that we find four passages that illustrate the ministry of every Christian believer. And so I think this is kind of a blanket uh, chapter for all believers. encourages us and tells us how we're to engage in the mission that God's given us. We've talked about how we're called to be ambassadors for Jesus, and we've heard that term more often lately in the news, in the newspaper maybe. Um, An ambassador is someone who represents one country uh, to the rest of the world. You know, you go somewhere, you represent the country that you're from. We're called to be Christ's ambassadors. We represent him to the rest of the world, wherever we go, whatever we do, whatever we say. And we've also talked about how we're to be known as people of joy, that true and lasting joy is only found in Christ. There's a difference between happiness and joy, right? Happiness is circumstantial, whereas joy is rooted in the truth about who God is and who he says we are in Christ. And then last week, uh, you know, one of my, my favorite lessons and messages from this series, we talked about how God wants us to learn how to be interruptible. I'm curious how you applied that this past week. Were you interruptible? All right, when God brought those divine interruptions into your life, um, did you respond to those positively? Well, today we're going to wrap things up by talking about how God has created us to be worshipers. We were created to be worshipers. I'm curious, what comes to mind when you hear that word worship? Think about that for just a moment. What comes to mind when you hear the word worship? I think for many people, uh, singing songs in a church building on Sunday morning with other Christians is typically what comes to mind, right? We just did that. That's typically what comes to mind when we think about that word worship. And I would say that singing is absolutely part of our worship to God. Singing has a very important place in the life of the church, but it's not all that worship is. Worship is about so much more than simply singing songs. I would say that worship is at the heart of all that we are and all that we do in Christ. Let me say that again. Worship is at the heart of all that we are and all that we do in Christ. John chapter 4, verse 23, 
reminds us that uh, true worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth. That we worship in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? Well, to worship in spirit means, among other things, that our worship to God must come from a heart that is being transformed by God, that is sincere and is motivated by our love for God and our love for others. To worship in truth means that our worship must conform to the revelation of God in Scripture. And that means that it's rooted in the truths about who God says he is and who we are in Christ based on what the Bible says. And so when it comes to our singing, we want to make sure that we're singing back to God the things that he's already said about himself, that we're singing back to God the truths of Scripture, that we're not bringing anything else into the equation. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I think broadens this view of worship for us. The Apostle Paul wrote these words to Christians in Rome. He says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, um, I plead with you, I, I, I beg you to give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. And then listen to this, this statement. This is truly the way to worship him. So a little bit of context for this. In the Old Testament, uh, when an animal had to be sacrificed as temporary atonement for the sins of a person, a priest would kill the animal. He would cut it into pieces and place it on the altar. Aren't you glad we don't have to do that anymore? (laughs) I am. Sacrifice was really important in the Old Testament, but even in the Old Testament, God made it crystal clear that obedience from the heart was so much more important. Obedience from the heart was more important. And so here, Romans 12, we jump forward. We're under the new covenant, right? Because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross, God wants us to offer ourselves, not animals, as living sacrifices. And that means that we daily die to our own desires so that we can faithfully follow him. We offer up our time and our talent and our treasure to be used by God as he leads our lives. That's what true worship looks like. Worship is meant to be a lifestyle. And that that phrase, I think, was popular in the late 90s and the early 2000s, that worship is a lifestyle, but it comes directly from God's word. Think about worship that way. Worship is a lifestyle. It's how we're called to live. Worship is at the heart of all that we are and all that we do in Christ. And so we find ourselves at a story today in Luke chapter 10 that illustrates what it looks like to live a lifestyle of worship. The story that we're going to learn from today uh, took place in the middle of Jesus' earthly ministry. He was on his way to Jerusalem. We know that at this point he's not turning back. This is where he was ultimately arrested, wrongly accused, beaten, and crucified on a cross. There are a couple characters that we need to familiar, uh, be familiar with before we read this story today. And the first two characters happen to be sisters. And many of you are going to be familiar with this pairing. Uh, it's Martha and Mary. Along with their brother Lazarus, who's not mentioned in this particular passage, but we know from elsewhere that he is their brother, Um, this family was extremely close to Jesus. We know from other places in Scripture that Jesus was comfortable around them. Their home was likely his home away from home when he was traveling. That's how close they were. 
And it's through this encounter in Luke chapter 10 that we're given a bigger picture of the heart of God, his love for us, his desire to grow, uh, grow us in our faith, to mature us, to become more like Christ, and what it looks like to live a lifestyle of worship. So I'd like to pray together, and then we'll dive into the passage this morning. Heavenly Father, I once again thank you for bringing us together today. And um, Holy Spirit, we rely on you to be our teacher. Um, I pray that you would help me get out of the way and that it would be your words that people grab a hold of and, and take with them and apply to their lives. And uh, that this time would be spent in a way that would ultimately glorify you and it would be for the good of your people. And so, Lord, I ask that you would bless our time together today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. It's not a long passage at all, but there's a lot packed into these, these few verses. And this is what we read. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted. She was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing how many of you have ever been distracted before? Yeah, some of you right now are a little distracted. Well, she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? How many of you guys have felt like sometimes life isn't fair? Yeah. Well, tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you're worried. You're upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. So Martha and Mary, they both loved Jesus. And in this particular setting, they were both serving him. But in this moment, through their example, we're given insight into what's most important to God. Yes, it's important that we stay on mission, right? Uh, being Christ's ambassadors as we take the message of the gospel everywhere. That starts really in our home and in our places of work, the circle of influence that God's put around us. It's important that we learn to love our neighbors well, to love your neighbor as yourself. We've talked about that. But before we can effectively represent Jesus to the rest of the world, hear this, we must get into the habit of spending time with Jesus when no one else is watching. You see, there's a different set of priorities that we see in the lives of these two sisters. Uh, Martha, on one side of the coin, she was a hard worker. And that's a great quality to have. God wants us to be hard workers. Whatever we do, we're to work at it as though we're working for the Lord. She worked hard to make sure the house was spotless, that the meal was prepared for Jesus. She's the one who actually welcomed Jesus into their home first. But in the process... She ended up neglecting Jesus. She spent so much time preparing things that he really didn't even need. I'm sure Jesus was hungry. I'm sure the disciples were hungry. And sharing a meal together is one of the greatest pictures of fellowship and community that we see in all of Scripture. Food has a way of bringing people together, does it not? We were talking about our 50th anniversary for next week. And asking, what, what details should there be? What things should we provide? And almost immediately, they said, there should be food of some kind, right? Food brings people together. But in Martha's eagerness to do things for Jesus, she forgot to spend time with Jesus. Don't miss that today. 
and Martha's eagerness to do all of these things for Jesus, to be a servant, to work hard, she forgot to spend time with Jesus. Now, the other side of the coin is Mary. And we see her at least two or three other times in the Gospels. And each time that we see her, she was in the same place. Mary was always at the feet of Jesus. Always. In Luke chapter 10, in this story, she sat at his feet and listened to his instruction and his teaching. You jump over to John chapter 11. She fell at Jesus' feet, and she honestly shared her pain with him after her brother Lazarus had died. And then one chapter later, John chapter 12, uh, she came to Jesus' feet and poured out her worship. She literally poured out some of the most expensive perfume that money can buy all over his feet as an act of worship. Every time we see Mary, she's at the feet of Jesus. And now we take a step back, and I think what happens is Mary and Martha are often compared as though each of us are faced with a choice, right? You can either be a hard worker like Martha, or you can be a worshiper like Mary, but there's really no in-between. you got to choose. I don't believe the Christian life is an either-or situation, though. Uh, Charles Wesley said it perfectly in one of his hymns, one of my favorite lines in a hymn. He says, faithful to my Lord's commands, I still would choose the better part. Serve with careful Martha's hands and loving Mary's heart. So there's a lesson for us today, many lessons, in learning to imitate Mary in our worship and Martha to a degree in our work, but there should be a balance. There should be a balance. And the right balance comes when we understand that what we do with Jesus is far more important than what we do for Jesus. Now, for some of you, that's going to rub you the wrong way, and I'm okay with that. Let me say that again. What we do with Jesus is far more important than what we do for Jesus. Very few things are as damaging to our walk and our relationship with God as trying to work for him without spending time with him. It's like trying to pour from an empty cup if you're serving all the time. If you're trying to do things for God all the time, but you're neglecting spending time with him, you're going to be serving from an empty cup. You're pouring from an empty cup. We're shown over and over again throughout God's word that the most important part of the Christian life is the part that only God sees. It's not everything else that everybody else sees. So if we don't take time to meet with Jesus personally, each day if we can, throughout the day if we can, when no one else is watching... We may find ourselves worried and upset over all the details, just like Martha was, missing the true purpose of the Christian life. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves today is this, are we so busy doing things for Jesus that we forget to spend time with Jesus? This message today is going to be an opportunity for you individually to stop to breathe, to reflect, to look inward, and really ask yourself some of those difficult questions. And I would say, thankfully, that if you find yourself in Martha's situation, you're so busy, you're so worried all the time about the details of life, and so worried that you've put off spending time with Jesus, God gives direction for how you can resolve the struggle. Aren't you thankful for that? So there's three questions that we're going to ask ourselves today. If you're taking notes, The first question is this, what do I do when I recognize that I'm not spending time with Jesus? That's the first question. What do I do 
when I recognize that I'm not spending time with Jesus. So spending personal time with Jesus is foundational to our spiritual growth. You know, first and foremost, I would say we, we look at the example of Jesus in all things. Well, how did Jesus spend his time? What did he do? Mark chapter 1, verse 35 is one of dozens of verses that tell us the same truth. It says that very early on in the morning, while it was still dark, right, nobody else was up, no one else was watching, Jesus got up, he left the house and went out to a solitary place where he prayed. And so this is something, again, we see throughout the Gospels. Jesus prioritized spending personal time with his heavenly Father, and we need to learn from his example. That's where we start. The second thing is, is we need to realize that prioritizing that time with Jesus, spending time with God through his word, actually grows our faith. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says that, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. So where does faith come from? It comes from hearing the message. And what is the message? The message is heard through the word about Christ. The message is found in the word of God. And so spending time with Jesus by reading God's word will grow your faith. And if you've recognized that you're not spending time with Jesus like you should, remember that God's word is like spiritual food. You remember how food tends to bring people together? Spiritual food draws us closer to our Heavenly Father. Spiritual food draws us closer to Jesus. We need to consume it if we're going to stay healthy and if we're going to grow in our faith. And then finally, I I would think for this point that neglecting time with Jesus has a tendency to make us feel disconnected from him, and rightly so. And I think if we're neglecting, you know, gathering and worshiping with our church family, if we're neglecting spending time with God and his word, if we're not um, growing by meeting with other believers and studying the Bible together and learning how to apply that, um, what ends up happening is we move from a place of gratitude to a place of complaining, and then all of a sudden everything that's going on in our lives is everybody else's fault but my own. We end up being those chronic complainers that we've talked about. Because we're not rooted in the word where God reminds us over and over again that we should be thankful. We can be grateful in all circumstances. Neglecting time with Jesus has a tendency to make us feel disconnected. But I think it can also bring a sense of guilt and shame in our life. And and I would say if this is how you feel today, let me remind you about an important truth about our God. 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 says, but if we confess these things to him, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful. He's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness or all unrighteousness. And so our sin is great. We're sinners by nature and by choice. But the truth remains that God's grace is greater still. Amen? Amen. His love and his grace is greater. And I know the idea of confessing something that you did wrong and even taking it a step further by um, repenting and asking God for forgiveness, that certainly has a negative view in our culture today. See, we don't always like to own up to our shortcomings and our mistakes, but confession and repentance are meant to be wonderful things. And here's really the difference between the two. I'll put it as simply as I can. Confession is agreeing with God, saying, God, you're right about this. Repentance is making a change. 
It's turning a 180 and going the other direction. And so confession is saying, God, I know, I know that I've messed up. I'm going I'm to clearly tell you that. I'm going I'm to share that with you. He already knows, but through prayer and confession, that, that draws us closer to God. It's agreeing with God that, God, you are right in this situation. And repentance is turning a 180. And I would say repentance is not really repentance unless there's a change that follows. A lot of the times we're guilty about things. We feel guilty about the sin in our lives. And we say we're sorry, but then there's not a change. And that's not true repentance. Repentance um, is always followed by change. It leads to change. These things free us. They help us enjoy our relationship with God and with others. And the great thing about coming to God is that you can come to him just as you are today. With, with your hurts, your habits, your hang-ups, you can come to God just as you are. And I love the picture that Romans 2 verse 4 gives us, especially in helping us understand confession and repentance a little more deeply. He says, or, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience? I love this truth. Not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance. So what is it that actually draws us to the place where we can repent and, and confess? It's God's kindness. It's not his anger. It's not his frustration with you. It's God's kindness that leads you towards repentance. And so if you feel like God is angry with you today or somehow disappointed with you, please hear this truth and allow it to sink in. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. We can approach God with confidence because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross and because of who he is, trusting that he's going to walk with us through whatever it is that we're going through, even if we've put him off time and time again. And if you haven't met with God in a while, let me just say to you, he's ready to, he's ready to hear from you. He's ready to talk with you. When you recognize that you're not spending time with God, you can confess that to him. You can talk with him about what's going on in your life. You can be open and honest about it. You can come in your rawest state, laying everything at his feet. And so how, how this connects with our story today, you know, I wonder if that's why Mary is only ever seen at the feet of Jesus. She was in no way a perfect person. In fact, it was quite the opposite. And she knew that she had a perfect Savior a, Savior, a Savior who understands all of life's struggles, all of life's difficulties. And so she found her place in the best place that she could, and that was at the feet of her Lord. And so what do you do when you recognize that you're not spending time with him? Well, remember his example first. Jesus prioritized spending time with his heavenly Father. Remember that spending time with Jesus, as we read God's word, it grows our faith. Faith comes by hearing. And be willing to confess these things to God. Be honest with him. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. I would say this fits in the category of, you know, a spiritual discipline. Disciplines are important. You know, it's those small disciplines done consistently over time that lead to big results. And that's in any area of our lives. Those small disciplines done consistently over time that lead to big results. Right? And, and for most things in life, you can't just flip a switch and go from one way and then all of a sudden, you know, things are great. Like when spring comes around, I'm terrible at keeping our lawn up and it never looks, you know, totally great. You see photos of things online and my dad was always great mowing the lawn. It was like a golf course green, right? I can't just flip a switch and say overnight my yard's going to look great. 
right? If I, if I cared about that, which I don't really, but if I did, <laughs> it would take those small disciplines done consistently over time that leads to greater results. It's the same thing in our marriages. It's the same thing in our parenting and in our work. It's the same thing in our relationship with God. It's a spiritual discipline. It may take some time for you to figure out a rhythm that works for you. But you can spend time with him in scripture through prayer, through singing, either on Sunday morning or by yourself, spending time with other believers and, and in God's creation. We don't talk about this enough, but I think God's creation is a valid source of truth. God has revealed himself to us in certain ways through the things that he's made. And so spending time with God through his creation is a valid source of truth. So this isn't an exhaustive list, but it's a great place to start. Number two, if you're taking notes, how do I begin to make a change? I've recognized that I'm not spending time with God like I should. How do I begin to make a change? Well, when Jesus talked with Martha about how she was worried and upset over all these details, he clearly wanted to see a change in her life. If we think about it, the, the Christian life really is all about change. It's all about transformation. It's about becoming more and more like Jesus as we mature in our faith. Martha was an extremely hard worker. Again, a great quality to have. God wants us to be hard workers. But in her busyness, she forgot the most important thing. Luke chapter 16, verse 10, says that if you are faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful in the large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibility. So on a few occasions, my wife and I have sat down together and we set goals for ourselves and for our family. And I'm the kind of person who gets really excited about this kind of things. But you know what? Um, I'm a guy. I have to write it down or I typically forget the very next day, right? It's like my wife telling me 15 times what our plans are for the weekend. And she knows that she's told me. If I'm honest with myself, I know she's told me. But it's hard sometimes to stir up the courage to ask her, now what exactly are we doing this weekend? And she's already told me <laughs> a million times, I have to write things down. So whether it's a financial goal, a parenting goal, a marriage goal, goals that will help move our family closer to Jesus, I need to write these things down. And we try to start small, being faithful in the small things, and then we allow God to grow us season after season. And, and sometimes in life, friends, it does feel like we take one step back, but God ends up helping us take two steps forward. And so we can set goals in a lot of different areas. Um, our tithing and our generosity, that's something we always have to come back to. Our family is growing. All right? It's not the easiest time to, to live in terms of uh, being a single-income family and raising your kids and all of the expenses. And that's your, part of your story as well. All right? So you have to set goals for those things. Um, helping our kids learn how to pray and read the Bible, we try to set some goals for that. Uh, my wife's going through the discovery Bible study method this year during school with our kids, just going through a book of the Bible and, and asking those questions. What does this passage teach us about God? What does it teach us about people? Does it say anything about obedience? And how are we going to apply this? And so she's doing a lot of that during the day where she's helping to mold and, and sculpt our kids and, and raise them hopefully to know and follow Jesus. So we start small. We try to be faithful in the small things. We set goals in a, in a lot of different ways, um, and, and you can too. And so when it comes to keeping worship at the forefront of our lives, worship is meant to be a lifestyle. Um, spending you know, real time with Jesus throughout the week 
I want to encourage you today to maybe think about setting some goals for that. How am I going to apply this? Otherwise, it's just a message that's gone in one ear and out the other. What are you going to do to start engaging in this and spending more time with God? Maybe you have enough time to read a short devotional or something before work. There's a lot of great devotionals on the Bible app. Maybe you can sit down and say, I'm going to start in John's gospel and I'm going to read two chapters a day. You know, and I'm going to read, I'm going to connect with God, and if I don't understand it, I'm going to reread it again, and I'm going to pray about the things that I'm reading. You know, these are just a couple of suggestions. But for me, I like to read first thing in the morning because it helps me start my day, helps me focus my day on the right things. My wife is a little different. She likes to read uh, scripture before she goes to sleep um, because it helps her end her day by focusing on Jesus. That's what works best for her. And so set goals, start small, be faithful in the small things. See how God will use that to grow your faith over time. Number three, if you're taking notes, why is it even important, right? Why is this important that, that we prioritize a lifestyle of worship? Why can't we make this just one compartment in our lives on Sunday once a week? All right, why is the call and the challenge to invite God into every part of our lives? Why is it important? I'm not going to just give you a direct answer for that. I'm going to let Scripture do the talking but our, you know, our story today, it teaches us the importance of redefining what's truly important and learning to prioritize a lifestyle of worship. It's, it's a lesson in learning to recognize what's truly important from what may feel urgent in life, what may feel like it needs our attention, but may not be that important. Uh, one pastor said this, that the urgent screams loudly in our ears. And if we don't predetermine that these things are not important, then we will continue to neglect the important things. So the urgent, it's screaming loudly in our ears. There's a hundred things a day that are saying, this is what you should give your time to. This is what you should give your focus to. It's usually the little details uh, throughout your day. So how do we determine which things in life are important and which things in life may seem urgent, but they're just not that important? Jesus teaches us how to sort these things out in verses 41 and 42. Really the, the key passage of, of this section. He says, But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all of these details. But there's only one thing worth being concerned about. And Mary has discovered it. And it will not be taken away from her. So Jesus said as clearly as he possibly could, there's only one thing worth being concerned about here. And so the question becomes, do we truly live our lives with this kind of perspective? That at the end of the day, there's really only one thing that's necessary. There's only one thing that's truly, truly important. Mary or Martha was, was worried and upset about many things. But only one thing was worth being concerned about. And some translations say only one thing is necessary. There's only one important thing. And Mary chose to focus on that thing. She chose to sit at the feet of Jesus. She chose listening to Jesus over being distracted by the details. And so how often do we live as though spending time with Jesus and living a lifestyle of worship is just not that necessary? According to Jesus... There's only one important thing, and I fear that we often miss it. In his commentary on this story, David Gooding, um, he wrote some amazing things, and I want to share those with you today. He wrote first that amid all life's duties and necessities, which there's a lot, right? 
we got a lot of things that are fighting for our time and attention. He said, there is one supreme necessity which must always be given priority and which, if circumstances compel us to choose, must be chosen to the exclusion of all others. That supreme necessity is to sit at the Lord's feet and listen to his words. Unfortunately, when life's circumstances compel us to choose, we tend to choose the urgent over the important, the urgent over the necessary. We tend to pray only in times of need as a last resort. We tend to read God's word only when there's nothing else good on TV. We tend to gather with our church family as long as there's nothing else going on throughout the week. Sports, things that we want to do. We tend to serve if it's convenient and comfortable. Jesus said there's only one thing that is necessary. Only one thing. Disciples of Jesus should not allow the urgent things of life to squeeze out the one important thing, Jesus. Well, Gooding continued his commentary by saying this, we cannot do everything. (laughs) Amen? We can't do everything. There's not enough time. Like Mary, therefore, we shall have to choose and choose very deliberately. Life's affairs will not automatically sort themselves into true order of priorities. If we do not consciously insist on making sitting at the Lord's feet and listening to his words our number one necessity, a thousand and one other things and duties, all claiming to be prior necessities, will tyrannize our time and energies and rob us of the good part of life. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Where should our gaze be? Where should our focus be? On Christ. Proverbs 3, verse 6, seek his will in all that you do, and he will show you which path to take. God is the author and perfecter of our faith. He shows us which path to take, and he's promised to be with us until the end. These are promises that are given to us, just three of thousands of promises that are found in God's word. And I believe that Mary understood these promises. She trusted in Jesus with everything that she was and everything that she had. And she made worship, spending real time with Jesus, the number one priority in her life. Martha loved Jesus as well. Don't get me wrong. She loved Jesus as well, but she found herself in a season where life's urgencies took priority over worship. And so my question among many today is what does that look like in your life? Has life's urgencies taken priority over worship for you. Things that at the end of the day just don't matter. And I'm kind of preaching to the choir today because I'm a detailed person and there are times that I have to tell myself, I just have to let go of these things. I have to make a stand (laughs) on the side that God wants me to make a stand on because if not, these things are going to be fighting and competing for my time and my talent and my treasure. The difficult details of life had crept in and made a home in the place that was meant to be reserved for Jesus for Martha. And today I'm thankful for God's word because in it we learn that Martha's story um, didn't end with this encounter, right? This isn't the last time that we see her. God continued to work in her life, developing her into the person that he created her to be. And you know what? He's doing the same thing in your life as well. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says that I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus 
returns. What an amazing promise that we can claim. Amen? Every single person in this room today, God is not done with you. He's working on you. He's the potter and you're the clay and he's molding you into the man or woman that he's created you to be. And sometimes there's rough patches. Sometimes it feels like you take two steps back and one step forward. But God's word is true. He can be trusted and his promise is that he, he began a good work within you and he's going to continue that work until it's finally finished. As we go our separate ways, I want to encourage you to reread this story today. Take your bulletin with you. Look at the notes that you've taken. Reread this story. And as you do, ask God to reveal to you the areas in your life where you're not putting him first. The areas where you're giving priority to the urgent instead of the necessary. And typically, a great way to recognize this is what are the areas that you're complaining about in life? Because typically, what we complain about, that shows where we trust God the least. That shows the areas that we're giving our attention to the urgent instead of the necessary. Pray that God would help you prioritize what's truly important as you grow in your Christian walk.